The Rebrand Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, and I Hear Everything production. This podcast tells the stories of world-changing marketing campaigns as told by the people who build them. In each episode, you'll hear a brilliant marketer talk through the strategy, framework, and tactics used to elevate their brands to new heights. Ready to hear untold stories behind the brands you love? Then sit back, relax, and get ready for the Rebrand. Here's the host of the Rebrand Podcast, the CEO of the Harkey Group, Scott Harkey. All right, Rebrand Podcast community, we're back. As you know, we tell untold stories of world-changing brand campaigns by the marketers who built them. Today, we're going to go off course a little bit. I'm really excited. I've been wanting to have this guy on forever. We're going to bring Tim Washburn on. Tim Washburn, for those of you who don't know, he's our chief creative officer at the Harkey Group. And we're going to talk about the rebrand of ourselves, which is going to be super scary, but also a lot of fun. Just a quick backstory. Tim and I have known each other for probably close to two decades. I've been a huge fan of his work forever, so much so that I decided to buy his ad agency, Nomadic which was an Ad Age Small Agency of the Year award recipient. They've got some of the biggest brands in the world, including Disney, Amazon, Walmart. Love Tim's work. So we're going to break down how we rebranded the Harky Group. As you may or may not know, we had an agency called OH Partners, which was an integrated agency that I helped co-found. And we've now recently rebranded to the Harky Group, this little small boutique holding company of agencies. So I'm going to bring Tim Washburn on. He was a guy that, I mean, like all marketers, I was in the weeds I needed an expert to help guide us through this process, even though I've done it a lot for other people. It was fun to have somebody else come in and not a better person for the job than our chief credit officer at the Harkey Group, which is a full service integrated marketing organization created to meet the varied and changing needs of their clients. With offices in Phoenix and Las Vegas, their agencies are consumer-centric, performance-based, creatively inspired, and they're recipient of countless industry awards. Last episode, we talked about rebranding the Harkey Group which is sort of awkward and weird, but I liked it because it gave you a little background on what we're doing over at our companies. I mean, I got one of my favorite creatives of all time on, Tim Washburn. And today he's going to take you through how to do a rebrand, how to launch a rebrand. Here's my conversation with Tim Washburn, the Chief Creative Officer at the Harky Group. All right, man, you're back. Cool. It's good to be here again. We've been trying to do this forever. Sort of funny talking about ourselves, which is always a little awkward, but I think everyone's been in that situation where... They've had to do a rebrand or they've had to pivot and you become like the shoemaker, you know, shoe kind of situation, which is tough because I think one thing that agencies and consultants can do really, really well is they're not in the weeds of the company and they can really represent the consumer. And I don't care who's doing the rebrand as long as it's not done in-house to get that expert opinion, that differences of opinion that's not in-house. And so we went through that. It was tough, honestly, at the Harkey Group when, when I had... OH Partners is our integrated agency and had all these little parts. But Tim, what makes a successful relaunch or rebrand? And what are some of the keys to success? And what are the do's and don'ts? 
I think what makes it successful is that, you know, it achieves whatever the goals are, which seems really general. But, you know, in our case for the Harkey Group, it was really about creating clarification, right, about the number of agencies we had and how they were connected and specifically through you, right? Like we're an agency, a set of agencies that are owned by you in the Harkey Group. And it was really important for us to provide you as the leader of this organization with a structure that made sense of it all, right? So you didn't show up at a cocktail party and having to explain your relationship with a bunch of agencies. Like it wasn't clean, right? Whereas now you can tell them, all right, I'm the owner and the CEO of the Harkey Group. And the Harkey Group is a holdings company of specialized agencies that are all focused on hospitality and entertainment and, game, and gaming. And being able to do that simplifies that approach. Each one of the agencies has its own specialization, but the Harkey Group, I would say, first and foremost, this launch was about creating clarity and then secondarily about providing you with a corporate identity that made it easier for you to do all the work that you have to. And so for us, that was successful. And everything we did to prepare for that was to meet those goals. So taking, you know, the professional service model and, and what we did at the Harkey Group as a rebrand for clarity to meet goals and to better explain what we were doing. What about for other categories? You know, I know we're doing a lot of work for some major hotel brands and chains. You've done a lot of rebranding work in your past. You know, obviously there's certain goals and, you know, it's not about just changing the logo or identity as we know. It's a deeper business strategy. Is there some things to consider as a marketer? Like, do you go through the rebrand or do you not? You know, is there a rule of thumb or what have you learned throughout your career that, you know, really help people to make the distinction of do I rebrand or do I not? Yeah, I think so. Rebranding is a huge decision to make, right? So if you're going to rebrand, it's got to be to solve a very big problem or to achieve a really big goal. And, you know, for us, it was about solving a problem first, which was clarity and architecture. And then long term, it's about achieving a bigger goal, right? We don't want to grow a singular regional agency. Like, that's cool. There's great success to be had in that. But arguably, that's what you've already done. We wanted to extend beyond that. And we needed to aid a group that we could use to drive that, especially in acquisition strategies. So I think for any client, right, if you are choosing to rebrand, you have to have a problem that you're trying to solve, a goal you're trying to achieve. Now, that being said, once you've done it, like the secret to it is just planning, right? Like planning and perseverance, it is a really, really hard thing to do. And we at agencies, and I would argue this is probably true everywhere, it is really hard for organizations to focus on themselves, especially in the service business. They're so focused on clients. And so for us, the key was taking a group of people and really assigning great ownership to a small group of people whose primary job it was to deliver the rebrand, right? So my biggest job for a year was to drive that rebrand. There was no nothing else that we were working on that was more important at the time than that. I was equipped with the project team. I was equipped with the budget. We got we went out of house to get designers and website to go all the things we did, but we went out of house to line those people up to make sure that all the incentives were in the right place. And I mean that from like an economic standpoint, like all the incentives were in the right place to drive things forward. And assigning ownership, right? making it people's specific and only responsibility to drive that forward is important. I think one of the mistakes I see people make all the time is they try to accomplish things by committee or through shared ownership and that eventually falls through the cracks. And then the, the follow-up thing to that is really this is once you've launched, it's just the beginning. Everything else is just prep. That launch is the beginning. 
And you have to be able to stay on top of it. You got to have a plan to keep going with it. You have to have a plan to optimize it. Now, the cadence of that will depend on the business goals. But for us, right, like once we launched, we had a plan in place for how we were going to update, how often we were going to do it, ownership, our roles and responsibilities associated with it. And that's allowed us to keep up with it over time. I'm feeling better about this podcast because I do think we're being vulnerable. We're not sitting here saying all the great rebrands we've done for clients. Oh, yeah. Um, Examples, which we definitely could do and look really smart. We're talking about how we literally struggled with our own rebrand. Sure. It's hard every time. And I've learned so much more for what clients go through. Like I used to get frustrated, like, come on, like, this is obviously the path forward. Like, what are you scared about? And then as I went through it myself, I was like, oh my gosh, like, what logo? Is this the right move? Is this an ego move? Is this the right client move? Are we talking in the right tone and all that kind of stuff? I would say the biggest learning that I had, and it was something you and I had friction about, which was the pace at which things could and should be done and the amount of planning and cadence to planning and content strategy planning and you know alignment that has to happen. And then even the, the execution of building the website and redoing the signs and doing this and doing that, and then the social rollout and then the PR announcement rollout and really the cadence at which and the, and the structure and planning in which a rebrand has to happen. Anytime Tim would give me, you know, kind of the timeline, I would think in my head, like, this is bullshit. Like, this should be half the amount of time or less. And it's it just not. And I think, you know, for those marketers out there, build in those timelines with your CEO, with boards, and give yourself the realistic deadlines that aren't slammed together deadlines, that aren't like best case scenario deadlines, because the work will be rushed and it'll be shit work. And I've had to get more and more comfortable with doing it right and and getting it planned right. This isn't some performance marketing digital campaign where you're optimizing on the fly. There's certainly a place for that. This is disciplined, creative and content rollouts by department. And it's it's a totally different deal. So thank you, Tim, for pushing me there. I mean, you've just done this so much as building in the right deadlines. I mean, how can creatives be more confident in how they're you know, allowing the proper deadlines and even marketers too. Is there a trick to the trade of having that confidence or is it just because you've been doing it so long, you know how to produce the right timeline, the most acceptable timeline that's going to produce the best work? Yeah, it's like, so two sides of this coin, right? Like take you and me, you are an entrepreneur. Nothing will ever go fast enough for you ever. In your entire life, nothing will go fast enough for you, right? And I will never, ever in my life have enough time to plan to do something as well as I want to do. There's this necessary negotiation that needs to happen between us. And what's ironic in that is as a creative director, nothing ever happens as fast or as well as I want it to, right? And there's some producer or some other creative director negotiating with me in the same way. I'm trying to push them faster and they're trying to slow me down to create enough time and space to do the work well. And I think that that's really the secret, right? It's, I think for marketers, whether you're a CEO, a CMO, a business owner, whoever you are, a brand director, working with an agency, internal departments, I think it's really important to be ambitious about what you want to achieve and to drive things forward, to have a wish list that you almost know nobody's going to be able to check off completely, right? But also listen to the people who are serving you, right? Listen to those people and really make sure that they have the time and space to do good work because the last thing we want to do is something that's crap. Put something that's crap up in the world, right? There's that old expression, right? If, you, if it's not worth doing well, it's not worth doing at all or something like that. Like, it's so true, right? So I think 
in the end, you were really good in our negotiations about giving me enough time and space to do it well. But I think that's in part because I was willing to compromise and deliver things in phases or in batches, right? So that we could guard the quality, we could guard the rollout, but we could also meet some of the demands and very real and legitimate demands and needs that you have from a business standpoint. And I think that negotiation is unavoidable, it's necessary. And I think once people are used to doing it with each other, it's highly functional and can be depended on to produce great results. And I think after being through probably, you know, certainly hundreds of rebrands as a consultant for other companies and now recently going through my own rebrand, I think agencies and professionals do a really good job of fully representing your consumer and diving into the psychology of like, for example, our consumer, which is high-level marketing people that hire us for marketing service contracts. And then also understanding the competitive set in which we play in. And there are certain rules by industry and by competitive set that you need to follow and also have some differentiation, both. And so I think as you're going through a rebrand or you're looking at rebrand and having professionals or yourselves really dive through the consumer thought process of decision-making and how they hire you, but also the competitive set in which you land in and play in, like in terms of logos and fonts and service offerings and size and all that stuff to find differentiation, but not something radical that doesn't say who you are in a clear manner and what segment that you play in. I think brands and, and myself, again, going through this, I understand the, the legacy and history of the brand and where I want to take the brand, what we do pretty well, where the opportunities are in the market. But that's only one third of the scenario. The other two thirds of a competitive set and the consumer set are super important. And I think a lot of times they're missed in these processes. Would you agree with that, Tim? Or would you like to add anything of what you've seen as, as someone really goes through the nitty gritty process of strategically rebranding or repositioning their company? Some things that you've seen or some lessons learned or common mistakes even? Yeah, I think the biggest pitfall in the process is losing objectivity. There's a, a very conventional tried and true method for going through a rebrand, right? From opportunity analysis all the way through design and implementation and optimization, right? Like there's a way to get through all of it, right? And there's lots of professionals out there that know how to move you through it, but it's very easy to lose objectivity on your way through, specifically for those people who are driving it, which are often, in your case, an owner, an entrepreneur, and other cases, it might be a CMO or a marketer. And in those cases, finding ways to remain objective or to bring in objective parties to provide insight to ensure that we're making the right decisions along the way is really key. And for me, like when I think about the Harkey group, we looked at all those factors, like where, what's the industry trend, what's the competitive set. But a big part of that was looking at you, knowing that we were creating a brand in part, right, to meet kind of, we were creating a brand for you. It had to, it had to match your personal identity. So most of the creative choices that we made were about finding things that were an appropriate expression of you, right, to fit your personal style, but that also filled a hole in the competitive space that also would appeal to those kind of clients that we were going after and would be a great platform for the work of all of our agencies. I think it's really kind of true, too, when we work with our clients, right? And you had said when you were building out, before I came around, like you were pursuing acquisitions anyway. You were already building out a group of agencies. Intuitively, you had already been running with this strategy. You just didn't have a way of organizing it under a brand that brought clarity to it. 
So in large part, my job, right, as a kind of your creative leader on it, was helping bring organization to an intuitional strategy that was already working pretty well for you. We do the same thing for our clients. Our clients are like really smart. Like they know their industries. They're going after something. They have strategies, sometimes that are really well structured and plotted. Sometimes they are improvisational and organic. And I think a big part of our job is to dive in and understand what are they doing and what are they doing brilliantly? How does it fit in the grand scheme? Why is it working if it's working so well? And how do we create great structure around it? How do we organize it so it's scalable? And it comes down to that. I know when we talked about process and organization, right? I think my response to you is like, well, without it, we can't scale, right? We can run fast, but we'll never be able to scale. If you want to scale, we need process, we need procedure, we need foundation. And I think that that was, in the end, maybe the thing that that made all this a bit more palatable to you. And I think for our clients who are running fast, who know they're being successful, but don't feel like they have the, the foundation to scale, that's where I think we become uh, supremely valuable to them as a partner. Yeah. And I think what I've learned, you know, after being in this industry 20 something years is really great agency people and marketing people and, and creative people at their best are architects. They're architects of a brand and finding an architect to help understand the goals and vision of a brand to build this architecture, then you can roll up a brand platform. And then once you have a brand platform, then campaigns just freaking happen. They just, they roll out so nicely and it gives all the creative team internally, externally, like everybody like true North star or a, a brand pillar that, that just makes sense. And then that's, I think great campaigns happen. Whereas a lot of times I think earlier in my career, I just thought great campaigns happen from creativity, but really doing the architecture work to put a brand platform in place like so many you've done in the past, you do you and, and others, then great creative has no bounds because it's as long as it's heading in a certain direction and it fits within the architecture, great work can be done. So I, I commend you on, on the architecture, but the architecture side is messy and it's hard and it, it requires really sophisticated planning. I mean, nobody's ever built a tower, right? Like nobody's ever built a skyscraper by just haphazardly slapping concrete blocks on top of each other, right? Like, they require planning, they require systems. And I think there's this great, like, there's this great misperception or conception about creativity, which is that creative people need to be freed from the boxes that we try to put them in to be creative. And that couldn't be more wrong. Like, creatives desperately need to be put into a box to be creative. Like, photographers use cameras, painters work on canvases and on walls within constricted spaces that allow them to be supremely creative. Creatives need to be put in those boxes. And those boxes look like strategies. Those boxes are creative platforms. Those boxes are the creative formulas that allow us to come up with really great thinking. And one of the great boxes, right, is consumer insight as part of that strategy. When we understand we need to come up with wildly creative ways to message against an insight, then those ways will be really creative. If we're left to our own devices, we're going to come up with whatever we want or go watch movies or play games, right? Ultimately, creatives need that structure to move forward and go great. We can only think outside of the box, if you will, to use one of my least favorite expressions, if we're really given a box to exist in or work in to begin with. And I think that that's a bit of a paradigm shift for a lot of people when they hear it. What are you most excited about in the industry over the next 12 months? 
I would say 12 months and beyond AI, right? Like I think AI is going to be like a new industrial revolution. I think it's going to be that big. And for our profession, you know, AI is going to do a lot of what it's already done and what automation has done for a while, which is eliminate some of the doing and it will create more time and space for the thinking, which is something that we struggle to find time to do every now and then as an agency. I think we all do, right? Like we're so busy doing stuff that it's hard to make time to think. And when we have time to think, we end up doing our best work. AI is going to, I think, create tons of creative opportunity for us to do bigger, better things and more thoughtful things. Should clients be saving money on fees because of AI? Depends on the use of AI. If it's simply for the doing, then yes, over time, you know, then, but supply and demand will figure that one out, right? Like over time, as there's more of a supply of, of agencies who know how, know how to use it, you know, there's definitely going to be a demand. So as the supply increases, the costs will come down, right? Like, but for those people who know how to use AI to create time and space to think of better solutions that create more value, then no, that's not about agency fees. That's not about whatever. That's about generating real value for brands. And agencies should, of course, be compensated for that, you know, but whatever that model looks like, you know, that's a little outside of my swim lane, thank God. I'll be focused on creating great product that clients absolutely want to pay for. I completely agree with you. And I've, I've seen even what our agency has been doing with AI. And, you know, kudos to Megan Jackman, our president, who's, you know, been so focused on making sure we're trained and equipped and have a point of view on AI, you know, by department, by function. I mean, we've subscribed to everything you could subscribe to. We've been testing and learning and, and now even implementing I think my last guest said that, you know, there's just going to be a boatload of content out there and what's going to be differentiated will be key. Do you agree with that? Do you think like when I just feel like when SEO comes out about it's like everyone optimizes to that and then there's a new thing and there's got to be a new thing and a new thing of differentiation because, you know, it just becomes table stakes. Is that the way you see content getting rolled out or do you ultimately see it as just there could be ways of creative expression and content that is so unique and fun and innovative that that's differentiated. I don't know. I'm just curious, uh, like what's this, you know, new back to the future world look like? You know, I think we as an industry and probably as a human race overreact to these things when they happen. Like there is no doubt that we are going to go through a period of transformational change, you know, in marketing and beyond, right? And it's going to change the way the human race operates. However, right, humans are fickle little creatures that get bored really easy, right? As soon as AI figures out how to generate everything we ever need to see, we're going to start getting bored with what AI can create and start getting thirsty for what humans can create. And it's, I don't think it's any different than, you know, we have finally figured out how to distribute all music, all music digitally, right? There is no need for a physical device for music at all other than your phone. And my kids won't stop buying records, right? We spent a trillion dollars as an industry to kill records because they just don't sound as good, but they're all longing for a physical experience that's different than anything digital can deliver. When we talk about generative AI, I understand it's you know a different function. Like there is the opportunity that it can outthink humans over time. But like really, I think we're gonna long for, you know, the this song created by a human label, right? AI not, you know, utilized in the creation of this show, right? Like, I think we're going to look for those claims in the future once the novelty of a completely AI generated content form wears off. 
never fully, but to a degree, I think we'll be looking for some balance, which is literally no different than today. And we are already looking for that balance between listening to a digital library through a streaming device on our phones and then turning around and dropping a record on a player and a, and a needle on the record. I agree with you. And I do think we're already seeing, you know, a lot of major publications. I think Wall Street Journal, New York Times are now letting people know as the article comes out, this was by human, not AI. I do think we're going to see a lot of disclaimers in the ad industry is very familiar with disclaimers. And yeah, the, the human thirst for connectivity and realness, I completely agree with. And I think as an industry, as marketers, and, and for me, what I'm trying to focus on is, you know, connection converts, right? And connection isn't generally manufactured by fake shit. So it can happen, certainly. And manufactured experiences certainly can happen, whether that's by humans or machines. But I think ultimately, like the realness of connection converts for brands and clients in that, that intimacy setting. And I think, you know, humans are just going to have more empathy and understand a lot more. But no question to your earlier point, AI will, will help us do work as a creative industry faster and the, the art of doing and the art of production, like, you know, I've already seen, you know, I mean, how many production artists do we have at our agency today versus how many we had five years ago and 10 years ago, right? Not very many. So, you know, the best workers and thinkers that, that have tools to help them make shit faster will ultimately be one of the biggest gains for our industry in AI. Yeah, no question. All right. Thanks for coming on. Tim Washburn, Chief Creative Officer at the Harky Group. You can find Tim on LinkedIn, of course, or on the company website, theharkygroup.com. If you didn't have a chance to take notes, you want to learn more, obviously, rebrandpod.com is where you find everything. You can find me on all the social channels, just at Scott Harkey. And again, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We're, we're building that marketing audience. I think we have close to 7,000 subscribers right now of, of marketers. So big thanks to the guests and the community that keeps building. Hopefully, I can hold it somewhat together. I know I'm <laughs> kind of all over the place sometimes, but I think it's fun to just have real conversations about marketing. And I know I'm getting better every day that I'm listening and not listening to people and in the trenches doing some great work. So if I'm learning, I know you're learning. And that's my goal. So that's it for today. But remember, it's never too late to rebuild, reboot, or rebrand. 